correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey folks, welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, and uh, this week, well, there's only one Steve because the other Steve's internet provider sucks. He uh, took a power surge the other day, and it knocked out his router, and his ISP is incapable of getting him a replacement, so he is currently without internet. So. You only get one, Steve, but I do have a guest this week, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But before that, I want to take a minute to talk to you about another podcast here on the D20 Radio Network, that being The Story Told, which is, well, it's a kind of another RPG variety show, if you will. A lot of discussions, some interviews. They tend to focus probably more on more narrative games and a lot of indie games, as well as they're currently doing an um, actual play of Promethean from the World of Darkness family. So uh, if you're interested in checking either of those out, there'll be a link in the show notes where you can find the story told. And with that, let's get into this week's show, which I'm joined by Doug from Gaming Ballistic, which is a uh, little gaming outfit up in, was it Minnesota? Minnesota, yep. Where many are cold, but few are frozen. (laughs) And you write for a variety of things, but notably you're one of the few people who's officially licensed to do work for Steve Jackson games, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. I am currently, that I know of. Um, Every now and then there's a rumbling of something else. Uh, I'm the only person who's allowed to put the Steve Jackson games logo on a Powered by GURPS product, the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game stuff. Uh, I am also, that I know of, the only licensee for the Fantasy Trip. Yeah, and that that was kind of an interesting thing where I was starting to work for GURPS and I went to have a business meeting with Steve at GameholeCon in, I think, 2018 or so. And, you know, I was like, hey, is there anything that I can do more, that, that, that more collaboration? And he's like, right for the fantasy trip. And I was like, mm, okay. I played fantasy trip for the first time that morning. <laughs> and I, I managed to miss it for, for the entirety of the, uh, uh, the 80s. And then it kind of went away for 30 years, you know, and... Uh, so, so that got me into that, which led to uh, collaboration with our, our mutual acquaintance, uh, J. Edward Tremlett, and, and diverse others. But yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm on the list of, uh, of this very short list of people uh, who Steve lets play in his sandbox. <laughs> which, I, you know, I, I guess, given the era that, at least to my understanding, that GURPS and, and you know, the, the, that whole company really grew out of, the only other company that, to me, kind of really feels kind of like a peer would be palladium and you know kevin simbieta has a reputation for being very very tightly controlling about anything involving his ips and or systems that that is that is definitely true i don't know much more than that about kevin i didn't uh, play in that uh game space much literally i didn't play in that game i think i maybe played one or two palladium in in the past but yeah i uh i got to know steve jackson games uh, starting in graduate school, really, for me, which was um, 1993 through 1998. Uh, I played GURPS starting in 1989 or 1988 uh, in, in high school. And uh, 
played a lot, quite a bit of it. Actually, it was more that I, I got to know it because at some point my game master, Mark, plunks down third edition revised and extended or whatever it was uh, and says, this game can do everything. <laughs> and that was kind of, okay, let's do this then. And uh, But then I, uh, I actually wrote about this somewhat extensively on my blog, but I played a, I wanted to run a game of Dark Conspiracy, the GDW Twilight 2000 second edition system based kind of mixing technology and magic and psionics and aliens and it was glory and monsters and it was glorious and horrible and whatever but the system was wretched i it just the 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 setting was glorious and i'm like all right all right i i quit i'm not going to quit the game because i had a a, a 15 people in front of me or whatever because i i played very large groups in at, at, at in college I suppose it doesn't hurt that Steve and I went to the same college, not at the same time. <laughs> we're both we're both Rice alums. But in any case, I'm like, nah, wait, I'm not doing this. I'm converting this game to GURPS. And if you know how modular GURPS is, or if you even have touched about how it's got a a plug-in source book, it's like it, it's an app for everything in GURPS is would be the modern way of putting it, right? And so my first experience game mastering GURPS was with a stack of third edition source books so high I couldn't see over it, which is a terrible plan in retrospect. But but that was my experience, and I spent far too much time looking stuff up because I hadn't enough experience with the system to know that your best guess is probably pretty close to the official rule for something. And, and breaking it down, as I have since done in the last several decades... <laughs> Uh, breaking it down that way, you get to see what's common. And, you know, in the intro, you know, you said, you know, what is it that you know about GURPS? 3D6, roll low under target number. Uh, it's modular uh, and it's as granular as you want it to be. And that is maybe the best perspective to approach GURPS the first time mm -hmm. because it's been around for a long time. And Steve Jackson Games is one of the two or three last men standings and last people standing so to speak of companies i mean even the big dog went through s several ownership changes right mm -hmm. and so steve is steve and he's been steve ever since he started the company uh, after he left metagaming uh and i think there's uh, uh two others that, that are still out there who haven't either folded or, or changed ownership or, or done something else you know but in any case long story less long than that one is with the weight of material behind it uh, you can be as crufty as you want, but you don't have to. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm spending a lot of my time these days usefully playing in the dungeon fantasy role-playing game powered by GURPS space, not the least of which, because that's what my license covers. <laughs> I'm not allowed to play anywhere else yet. That's changing. That's changing. We'll talk about that later. But yeah, so I play in the fantasy space with this you know, Viking-inspired uh, setting that I, that I have. And I've spent quite a bit of time strategizing and executing on that strategy to make GURPS come to the table faster. Mm -hmm. And some of my more successful products over the last year or two uh, have been in that space. Well, that sounds really, really cool. Yeah, I know. Like I said, I, I have no actual experience with GURPS other than having known it existed since somewhere in the mid to late 90s. And, you know, occasionally interacting with people, be it on Discord or forums or whatever, talking about GURPS. And, you know, the one person that probably had the most GURPS-related conversation with had this weird, like, love-hate relationship with GURPS. And the, 
he loved it, but he hated that he loved it. Right. And, and like, I guess the thing is, I think generic systems are wonderful and awful at the same time. I, I, and I think I know where you're going with this. And I, and I think I'm going to agree. And, and that is because it's kind of like the analogy I'll draw is a Swiss army knife or a Leatherman. Okay. And, and for me, I'm a bit of a tool junkie. I have a couple of Leatherman tools. They're right. great. Like I keep one in my car because it can do a lot of things and it doesn't take up a lot of space. But nine times out, like I don't keep a Leatherman in my toolbox. No, because I want the the tool to do the thing. Tool for the right job, exactly. I'm I'm a, I'm a woodworker myself, so you you and I you're you're <laughs> preaching to the choir on this one. You know, and so like for me, I I'm one of those people who if if I want to play, we'll say cosmic horror, I'm reaching for. Call of Cthulhu or one of the derivatives. My personal favorite at the moment is Delta Green, but you know, you, you get where I'm going and other things I'm, I'm going a different direction because system design, you know, inherently at some level emphasizes the things that are supposed to be important for the type of stories that the creator wanted you to play. And right. where I think GURPS has taken maybe a different track than many of these generic systems is that it is, much more modular in that here's a book to do this kind of thing. And here's a book to do that kind of thing. And so you can dive into the details that you want. So it, I guess maybe the best modern comparison might be cortex prime. Yeah, that that could be, you have a lot of front end setup on the GM end, but once the GM has it set up, it's not this huge, massive thing of, it can be and it can't be. GURPS fundamentally is a, is a game-building toolkit. It is not a game, right? Um, mm-hmm. Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game is a game. It literally comes in a box. Uh, Monster Hunter's Dungeon Fantasy product line, uh, which they did themselves no favors by having both a product line and a box set with the same name, um, but that ship has long since sailed. Monster Hunter's Dungeon Fantasy, after the end, I feel like I'm missing one, are all worked examples where somebody, the writer or editor of, of the project, went through and did the sculpture thing. I'm going to remove everything that isn't this game. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game is a great example of that. What The game that I'm going to hopefully write next year uh, that's going to be powered by GURPS, which is going to be kind of a XCOM, Old Man's War, Stargate SG-1... Alien space marines go out into the galaxy, kill things, and take their stuff. There's going to be more than that, but but it's it's uh, you know in terms of it's not just a hack and slash you know shoot 'em up thing. But but those are games. You have something that is designed from the rules kit to be what you need it to be. Where the thing is is that once the game master has done their job, then you have to get the players to the table, mm-hmm. and that can be tricky at times because it can require some relatively esoteric system mastery to make sure you have the bits that you need to have fun. Mm -hmm. It's not quite the same thing as I'm going to plan out 20 levels of a Pathfinder character so that I can take advantage of all the synergies. You know, it's more like... Sort of in GURPS, everyone can do everything, but your roles to do something by default tend to be pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's important that, like, for example, if you're doing a game that involves dungeon delving, every single character 
should probably have at least a point in self mm-hmm. so that the monster doesn't come after the noisy one, <laughs> right? Uh, all the time, right? You know, what's your self? 18, 18, 18, four. Oh dear. Right. We'll just put that one. We'll just put that one out as bait <laughs> and whatever. Right. So, so there's some sort of good things. And what you can do is you can say, look, here is a point in everything that a delving party or a alien kick in the door monster hunter, you know, here's everything a budding Buffy the Vampire Slayer campaign needs at least a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to need stealth. You're going to need a little bit of, gee, what's the monster here? Uh, you're going to need a little, maybe a little bit of perception so that you can hear, you know, the thing sneaking up on you before you get eaten, uh, whatever, right? So, you know, so there are some things that you can do in a game like that where you've got a Slayer and a bunch of chew toys you're going to want the chew toys to have luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So to back up before we start, I I know enough to know that we can head down a, a very complex mechanical discussion easily. Very deep hole. Yeah, that's right. The the core of GURPS, is, as we mentioned before, is 3D6 roll under. And it, if I'm understanding what I've heard correctly, it's you add your stat rating and your skill rating together and try and roll under it on 3D6. Yes. That, that's the long and the short of it, yes. Okay. Now, is it at all a, a class or career-based character creation, or does that vary depending on what parts you put together? It, so it does not have to be. It literally, you can, the, 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 the classic example that actually drives me crazy is the, you can play a psychic sentient blueberry muffin if you want to. But most, in most games, that's a dumb character. It won't <laughs> fit, but you can. But you shouldn't, but you can. Um, but that's the thing. It's, GURPS can be as point by, do anything, anything you want, a, as you like. You have infinite freedom to ruin other people's fun or your own. But you also have a lot of freedom to whittle away the things or add the things that really emphasize the kind of game that you want to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I would analogize it to if you change the rules if you add a four point shot to basketball and put a boundary and say, Hey, beyond this, it's four points. All of a sudden people are going to be starting to take four point shots. Mm -hmm. And so by choosing the right genre, the right rules, flavor, sometimes uh, meta currencies like luck points or whatever, you're going to incentivize certain behavior through play. Uh, The inspiration mechanic in, in D and D five E incentivizes doing cool things that get you a point of inspiration. That's not a bad thing. It can be an amazing thing. Right. You know, the, the ability to say, well, I will voluntarily fail this role so that I can get a fate point is a great example of a meta currency mm-hmm. driving behavior. Maybe it drives too much behavior. I've heard that before too, but it's, you know, like in all of my business school classes, you know, you get what you incentivize and you get what you, you know, what you manage to your metrics, if you're measuring number of orcs killed per hour, and that's how you advance, you're going to see a lot of, body, of dead orc bodies strewn about, right? If it's number of princes' crowns that you steal, uh, or princes', princes kisses that you get, you're going to see a lot of princes and frogs get kissed and crowns get stolen, because that's how you advance. So for, for just to sort of bring it back to sanity a little bit, it can be as point by as you want, but what I have found is that a certain number of constraints in terms of genre, point level, encouraged traits, discouraged traits, 
uh, a little bit of guidance goes a long way towards making sure that in the end, you've got three to six people laughing, rolling dice and having fun uh, in a way that meets the table's expectations. Okay. Now, it sounds like, how do I want to say this? This is, and this is going to sound like maybe a, a knock on it, but I don't mean it that way. But it almost sounds like GURPS as a, a system or a ensemble is very much geared for you know what you want and you know the system well enough to get it. You go get it. Or, yes, yeah, so you're absolutely right. If you're a DIY kind of person, you know, if I'm going to go inside my Subaru and start monkeying around and I don't know the car, I'm very quickly going to need a new car. <laughs> very quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm in Minnesota, so I have to drive a Subaru, right? Um, but, uh, but more seriously, I can do that. I can do all the work. And, and there are some great game masters out here who do that uh, and put all the, just the pieces that they want is mwah, chef kiss, right? Or you can let experts do it for you. And that's where my Nordland setting, you know, pattern my own on back, but that's where like Nordland setting or Monster Hunters or any of these work genre examples like the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, which I can't say enough good things about, come into play where if you're like, hey, I want to do some beer and pretzels fantasy, and, and that cheapens the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game a little bit, but it was written to enable light and fluffy play. Mm-hmm. Well, it but that's... Requ- it, it, it's a big part of the hobby, and it's important. <laughs> yeah. It is. And, and the other thing, and, and look, you know, this is a gaming podcast. By and large, I'm guessing most of our audience are gaming nerds, okay? And, and I say that with all the love. I don't all mean the that as in, Yeah, absolutely, right, yeah. But our level of investment into the hobby and our passion for the hobby is probably not shared by everyone at the tables we play with. And I, you know, our enthusiasm, how, how deep we're willing to dive, you know, the, the fact that we'll have a two-hour conversation debating this fine point of some rule. Right. And half the people at our table are like, what the hell are you talking right. about? Right. Can we kill something? So I, so I had, a, I had the best man at my wedding, a friend of mine named Adam, was a bit that way. He gamed with the gaming group uh, all through high school, you know, my dearest friend through, through most of my life. And he could not give two rips about system or mechanics. He wanted to do awesome things with the biggest mace or bludgeoning device that he could find or whatever, right? That he was not there to engage in deep soul searching, whatever, whatever. That was his, his, his mission in life was mostly uh, around gory kills and, and, and epic slaying. And that was fine. Whereas, you know, some of my other friends at the table were into intrigue and they were all angsty and whatever, whatever. And that was also fine, although it made for some wake me when it's my turn to kill something. But, uh, but yeah, so, so Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game is, is, was enabled, uh, was written by the line editor in order to answer a particular question in a particular way. Mm-hmm. The question was, hey, game master, can I do this awesome thing? And the answer to that question was, absolutely, you can do this awesome thing. Not, mm-hmm. oh, you need to roll it a penalty and it's a minus 10 and let's think about this and your odds of success are one in eight billion. So yeah, go ahead and give that a try. That, that was not the goal. That mm-hmm. was not the goal, right? If you want to kill three monsters in one turn, the answer was booyah, right? <laughs> I'm going to put an arrow through the dragon's eye at 100 yards and end this conversation before it starts. Then the game master laughs at you because he put armor on the dragon's eye. 
but but you know it's that's the kind of thing is that you know I want to I want to be Legolas. I want to skate down a staircase firing arrows the entire time, and 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 I want to call that a good time. And GURPS can support that, and the Dungeon Fantasy role playing game had that sort of thing in mind when it was written. Now my setting has more social mechanics. I have a a, a ritual exchange of insults that the Vikings would do called flighting. I've got something because the 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 rampant egalitarianism of of modern culture uh, doesn't really work when you have the stratification that you see in some of these ancient history stuff. And so I wrote something, you know, if you're trying, you can't just walk into the Lord of the Matter and say, hey, I, I got, you know, I'm an adventurer. I must be important. I, I need an appointment. So there's a, a kind of a a little bit of a thing where, you know, how do you request a meeting with the Jarl? And <laughs> and that's a level of social interaction that 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 uh, is not really part of the core game. But if someone wants to bring that out and say, no, you can't just walk up to the Jarl and say, hey, you know, we need to talk. And he's like, who are you? You just walked in here. You smell. Um, you're not dressed properly and your hair is, is, is unkempt. So why should I spend any time with you? But the Dungeon Fantasy role playing game is a great example of it's got niche protection. Everyone has an opportunity to be awesome in their niche. And the answer to the question is of can I do this awesome thing is typically how much more awesome do you want to be because you have a lot of room. It's a lot like playing, I think, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th level D&D 5th edition characters where you, you can bring the, you can bring, bring the rain um, in, in terms of, uh, of power and ability and, and some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, it sounds, like I said, it, it, I'm, I'm of two minds because I, I do love some crunch and some granularity and the, this, that, and the other thing. And at the same point, I've also really come to love the very much more narrative emulative stuff where it's like, Hey, that sounds like a really cool thing. Let's ha- make it happen. Right. Exactly. And, and so, so there's a couple of things, right? Beneath the metric ton of rules is always rule zero. And Sean Punch, I played with him at Gen Con 50. He's a rule zero GM. If you're like, oh, well, blah, 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 and this would be awesome. He's like, yes, that would be awesome. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he wrote the freaking rules, you know? And he's like, I don't care what the rules say. This is the most awesome thing. This is what's going to happen. And, and, you know, he doesn't railroad or stomp or, 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 or whatever. But if there's a, not a terrible reason that, if, if you're not basically like, oh, well, even if it is, right, it, 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 it's, GURPS is a rule zero system. And so if by sort of mutual acclamation, something narrative should probably happen or you want it to happen or, or whatever, it can. And, and, and it's encouraged to, to happen that way. If one feels strongly about mechanizing narrative play, there are systems uh, that were written, um, one by Sean called impulse buys, uh, which is about narrative metacurrency. There are luck rolls where you get to lean on the roll three times, take the best, that kind of thing. And, and so, uh, and I think, I think I did some math once you need it. You need the three rolls to be like the equivalent of a D and D advantage or disadvantage because the three D six trends so tightly to the middle. Well, you have a bell curve because you're using right. Right. And three dice makes a, yeah, yeah, we both know what we're thinking. But. Yeah, no, you're right. But we, you need to roll more times to get the same kind of swing that you do rolling a 1d20 twice and taking the best. Right. Because if you roll twice, you're aiming for the middle. So to get 
enough of a shift to make it matter, you need to roll three times and take the best. Yeah, because your probability on a d20 is a line. Correct. Yeah, anyway. Right. Anyway, so so <laughs> if you're interested in narrative stuff, GURPS have, has you covered. If you're interested in mechanically enhanced verisimilitude, because GURPS is not a reality simulator, and, and when people try and make it that way, we forget the G is, you know, game, a game, right? Role-playing game, game. A- and when you try and turn it into a reality simulator, it breaks because it's not, and it's not supposed to be. Uh, oh, well, I'm going to simulate every mile of a drive from my house to work, and I should crash 12 times. Well, no one in their right mind would make you roll dice for that. Well, all right, you know, I should be nice. But, but that's not the place where the game master should be requesting die rolls. Die rolls are for when it's interesting. Exactly. That's that's a, something that that was explained to me actually in the context of uh, the Fantasy Flight Star Wars Genesis system. But that you know, as the person who told me said, you know, that's something they've taken with them to other games. It, it, their specific quote was, "Don't roll unless failure is interesting." Right. And 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 you could take that to the extent of just don't roll unless you you know the result is interesting. Right. Right. It. it yeah. You know. The the one that you, you see in D&D all the time is roll to pick the lock. Well, it's an empty hallway. We've got a week. Right. What What's gained right. by us spending five turns trying to get this door open? Right. And that's actually a great example where uh, I don't know if Take 20 got formally incorporated into 5th edition or not. I don't think so. Right. But But basically say, look, you know. 30 times, 20 or 30 times the time, and just you assume that you're going to roll a 20. It doesn't, maybe it doesn't count as a crit, but it's like, oh, you know, if whatever, you know, if it would normally take me a minute and I have to roll, I take a half an hour, I get the best result because I keep trying. And what it costs you in that particular case is time. And that may matter or it may not. That time may give the goblins who are listening to your conversation. I actually have a, uh, uh, one of my book covers, I have uh, uh, four books, uh, hopefully next year it'll turn into five or six or seven or eight of ready-to-play NPCs uh, mm-hmm. for the fantasy trip. Uh, and I grabbed a wonderful cover uh, stock art off of uh, DriveThruRPG, which is uh, clearly a bunch of like three PCs arguing loudly about a map and behind them a dragon is coming because they've been shouting. Mm-hmm. Right. So so that's a great example of the price of taking 30 minutes instead of one minute to pick the lock is now your opposition in the next room is organized. Potentially. Yeah. Right. Um, they heard you because you were not quiet about shouting your plans and your disagreements to each other and whatever, whatever. And, uh, you know, it, it's sort of the 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 equivalent of of. Uh, Mary or Pippin knocking the suit of armor down the well in Moria. Spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> right. At that point, oh, wow, the game was up. Just right. right. You're just right. You know, and, and that's the kind of thing where that became really interesting really fast. And that makes it interesting. But if it's just, you know, if, if, if the lock isn't trapped and it's possible to pick the lock, the lock's going to be picked. If it's just time goes by and there's no consequence for time goes by, okay, time goes by and you pick the lock and you get the whatever's in the chest. 
but if there's time pressure, if there's a chance that it, you simply can't do it, the lock is beyond your skill. Yeah. You know, then, then that is, you know, I, you can't do that. And that was actually something that was, I think it came up on the old school essentials discord. I can't pick the lock is not failure because there's an implied word in parentheses. I can't pick the lock yet. I can't pick the lock now, mm-hmm. but I can take this chest with me <laughs> and find either find someone who can, uh, or one day I will be skilled enough to see what's in the tre- in the treasure chest. Or I got Olaf the Barbarian with the big old hammer over here, and we can do it the other way. But you know, but that's that's an interesting consequence. Yeah, and and I think like you said, that's that's a, a factor. I think that we forget a lot of times is you know sometimes it's not yes or no. Sometimes it's not now. Not now, exactly, exactly. Or not yet. That's, you know what I mean? Like right. I think that's a trap we fall into a lot of the times because we think of so many checks as being pass fail. Right. And so, in, you know, by fail, you know, like a joke that I started with a group I was playing D&D with was, and I had this character that would perpetually roll crap on perception. <laughs> like I would roll a three. Right. All sure, the time. sure. Sure. All the time. And I'm like, well, you know what? I got really nice shoes. Right. <laughs> like it's not, I, you know, and, and to me, like, that's, yes, I, I, I rolled crappy on the, on the roll. Well, in reality, that doesn't mean you look past the obvious thing that no, probably right. translates to you're distracted by something. Your attention is elsewhere. That's right. <laughs> you know, that's and, right. and yeah. I think that's a, a, a hard habit for a lot of people to break is, is thinking of it not as you didn't see it, but you were looking or you didn't see it because you weren't looking. Right. You know, and I think uh, from an outside perspective that GURPS has gotten a reputation for being a very crunchy simulationist system. But what I'm hearing you say is that, well, it can do that, but right. that's really not the way the authors intend it to be played. It's really not. It's really not. And, and just because the game has 200 or 300 skills, because it does, doesn't mean that you need to be rolling every single skill during the game period, nor does it mean that not having certain skills on a character sheet or in a game at all is, is an excuse to punish the players or to punish the party uh, for not having them. It may just be genre inappropriate, you know, not to mention the skills like you don't have beam weapons blaster at a fantasy game. That's what the mage is for. <laughs> You know, so so it's, it, it is that kind of thing. I, I love playing GURPS. I like writing for GURPS. I get, you know, so many hooks to to latch onto to, to do some epic things. You know, it, you do have to be careful not to uh, lose the forest for the trees or find the trees in the forest or whatever. I never really got that saying, so I'll move on past it. <laughs> well, no, I, I get it because I think for me, that would be a, a very much a trap for GURPS because I am the type of person that can go down that rabbit hole of detail and i know that of the 347 trees i can see this many are elm this many are maple and this many you know what i mean sure and and i for that lose the fact that i'm lost in the middle of the freaking woods right exactly right <laughs> you know so 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 there, there is some of that you know and some of sometimes those details are interesting like one of the things i was Having lunch with uh, today, actually, I had some Thai food with uh, a, a backer and a friend of mine uh, uh, who runs an RPG camp, and, and we secured for him 
a whole bunch of box sets from Steve Jackson games. And, and I gave a huge discount on uh, my Delvers to Grow product. Um, do you mind if I show for myself a minute here? No, no, no not at all. Okay. So, so one of the big things about GURPS is uh, time to table. One of the great things about D&D, old school D&D, new, even fifth edition, whatever, is you can say, hey, six people who have never role played before, let's play D&D. I know the system. Roll some dice, pick a character archetype, choose an equipment pack, and you can be playing in a half an hour. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you're, in, especially in old school D&D, if your paper person gets obliterated, by the time the turn comes around again, you can have a new paper person. Mm -hmm. Olaf Jr. Olaf the sequel. Olaf the second, right? Olaf's other brother, Olaf. And I was like, you know, there's no reason especially in the dungeon fantasy role-playing game, why that couldn't be true of GURPS. There are a lot of overt, and then there's a lot of, hidden is the wrong word, but there are a lot of things that synergize this skill, this attribute, this, not this. Never take a rapier where you can take an edged rapier because swing damage is almost always better than thrust. Mm -hmm. It's a system quirk, and anyone who is insisting on poking people all the time with a sword instead of cleaving people with a sword had better be doing it because they think it's cool, not because they're not aware that the system penalizes the damage potential for people who do that or whatever. But so I was like, look, I think that we should be able to create something where you make half a dozen decisions and come to the table very quickly with a GURPS legal character that may not be the most hyper-optimized, blah, 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 but it will be a legal, playable, fun, competent character that takes advantage of the system mastery that an author has provided for you, mm -hmm. right? You're, you're, you, you bought this product because you're paying for somebody else's expertise in how to do this. And that's, I was talking to Kevin Smythe, and I laid out the strategy, and he's amazing at building characters. And he doesn't build psychic blueberry muffins. But he knows the tricks. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, hey, do you want to write this book? And we worked together and we came up with this Delvers to Grow product. And it takes it starts it builds from the Dungeon Fantasy role playing game, which is kind of required. You need a genre, you need a setting, you need a setup in order to make a modular character creation system make sense. Mm -hmm. But DFRPG has, you know, 12 professions. You know, knight, swashbuckler, barbarian, wizard, cleric, whatever. It's got 12 professions, and they're pretty much, they're not classes, but, you know, they're kind of classes. You know, it's a point-by system, and they're not classes, but they're kind of classes. They're niches or archetypes. And so you say, okay, I'm going to pick a point level. I'm going to pick a profession, and then I'm going to pick two disadvantaged modules, like hero or uh, dark knight or uh, miser or skeevy noble or you know uh, you know noble son or something like that and they have some flavor to them but the way that the, each of them is 25 points of disadvantages and you take two and one of these and one of these and then you go play and that's enough to remember and they're pithy right mm -hmm. you don't need to remember nine different traits it's i'm a i'm a dark knight paladin who are you you're batman <laughs> right you're, 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 you're out to avenge evil and you're going to bloody some people doing it. Well, it sounds like what you've done is effectively kind of made character creation value meals. 
Yes, that is, that's a great way of putting it. And what my goal was, and we play tested, we blind tested this. What my goal was, was to run a campaign where someone new to the system could make a character, have that character die, and not miss more than one turn to come back around with a 125 or 62 point GURPS character. And if you've done point by point GURPS character building before, you know, it's, oh, first you have a session zero, and then the game master spends some time with you to make your character and work with you to make the character, and then you get the play group together so that you all get to know each other. And by the time a freaking month goes by, you're ready to play. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. That's not how you bring people to the system. You bring people to the system by having a target of opportunity. <laughs> you know, some, somebody said the word fantasy gaming, and you're like, oh, an attack of opportunity. Ba-boom. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, I play, I'm a dork. I play games. And so you have something where each of your five friends can be ready to kill orcs and take their stuff in 10 or 15 minutes a piece. And so you spend an hour and then the six, you're, you're rolling dice and playing and playing the game for the next three. And, and we accomplished that goal in blind test. We, we had somebody go to their favorite local gaming store and do pickup games with GURPS with people who had never played GURPS before, much less done the system. And five or six people were ready to go within an hour uh, and they played for three hours and it became a standing group. So not only did, did it meet the goal, it brought new people into the hobby. But there's really no excuse in this day and age for not doing that uh, and making it easy to play. Yeah, that's and and that's <laughs> I've said, you know, and, and this is kind of a little bit of a tangent, but that's what we do on this show. So some of the the, the quick start guides, some of them are, are solid. A few of them are very exceptional. And but to me, a quick start guide and, and GURPS, I don't think is you could probably do one for, say, Dungeon Fantasy. But you can't do one for just GURPS. For because... GURPS, that's right, because GURPS isn't a game. It's a game system. It's a it's a game design. It's a, yeah, right. A I can toolkit. see, and, and again, and I don't know crap about GURPS, so, right. but you could have a space sci-fi GURPS quick start, much like your, your whatever you were calling yes. it, Delver's Grow thing. Yes, that's right. The, again, it wouldn't be specifically targeted to whatever crazy space thing that your GM dreamed up, right. but it could give you a, because I think I've said this about about myself and, and certain systems, you know, be it Palladium's Rift setting, which I love the setting, the system. Unfortunately, I just don't have the time and mental energy to deal with with <laughs> life as a, you know, semi-functional adult. <laughs> you know, and I, I think GURPS is is another one that like I'm interested in GURPS, but I look at it and I go, OK, so because I'm Steve and I am interested in all these crazy things and like to mash weird things together. I'm going to have to buy approximately 87 and three quarters books, read half of all of them or most of them, and then figure out which things I got to put together with how, and then remember that this doesn't work with this and this does work with that. And right. And I, I feel like if, if you could have those for lack of a better word, quick starts or, or templates, right to lay on top of it, which I'm assuming like some of these, like, you know, GURPS horror, GURPS space are intended to kind right. of do that. Yeah. The best examples of, I, I totally know what you're saying. The best examples of that are like the monster hunters worked example, dungeon fantasy and the dungeon fantasy role-playing game are two different versions of that. The difference between dungeon fantasy, the product line and the dungeon fantasy role-playing game product line is everything you need to play is in the box 
there's there's rules and everything. Whereas the Dungeon Fantasy product line is built to work with the basic set. Okay. Monster Hunters is the product line. The Monster Hunters line works with the basic set. After the End is a post post apocalyptic that works with the basic set. Reign of Steel is a campaign setting that works with the basic set, which is basically Terminator, but the robots, you know, Terminator when the and you play in the thing where the robots have won. So, and my my next big project with with GURPS uh, or uh, is powered by GURPS really is going to be something that I call Mission X, which is a worked example of the space colonies thing, and uh, it's going to be a complete game in a box. Cool. Cool. Right. So, so it, well, I said, let me, let me, let me, let me walk that back because it's going to be a complete game. I don't know that I can afford to put it in a box. Mm-hmm. I might be able to put it in a slipcase, mm-hmm. but one of the complications in the publishing world is that as soon as you put something in a box, it very quickly becomes a game rather than a book or a set of books. And it is treated differently for both shipping and taxes. Ah. And that is a fantastic way to be brutalized by your uh, finances and also by your backers who are at the mercy of both national and international shipping and trade law at that point. Now, just since you, you're, you're kind of talking about the business angle of yeah. it, some, something I've learned doing the podcast and talking to, shall we call them independent designers, publishers, yeah. you know, the one... People, I I know when I got into gaming in the mid nineties, yeah, you thought, oh my gosh, this person has a book. They must be important and famous. And (laughs) how great would it be to write books for a living, you know, for games? Well, you know, the, the number of gaming companies that have full-time employees in the double digits, at least in strictly RPG stuff, I'm guessing is in low single digits. It wouldn't surprise me. You need to to do really, really, really well to to be able to afford to hire people. You know, I mean, it's the old. I first heard this joke in the aerospace industry, which is the best way to make a small fortune in aerospace is to start with a much, much larger fortune uh, and work your way down. And and to some extent, you know, I I have a PhD in material science and engineering. I was a I was a, a manager of research and development at Disk Drive Company for well eight or nine of the 20 years that I worked there, you know, I, mm-hmm. I did well and I need a telescope to see that level of, of financial gain. You know, I, I'm fairly sure if I hooked up the, the web space telescope, I would not be able to see that salary in my future with me being a game company. I mean, I hope that, that it's, I hope that my current Kickstarter changes that and I, you know, can go do whatever I want, but I don't see it. Right. I mean, it's uh it's just not where you go to to swim in swimming pools of cash. Uh, you do it because you love it. You do it because you like to call your own shots. And and you do it if you do it all yourself. It's because you enjoy the process of doing it all yourself. Mm-hmm. And you know, I like being a mentor. I like coaching new writers. It can be frustrating uh, for both of us. Uh, it can be right. You know, I have I have a perspective on on what I like to see in adventures and and and. I, I try and make that clear. And when I get something and I'm like, okay, no, people don't like being told, no, that's not what I'm looking for. Or, you know, I think that your players of this adventure are going to object to the railroad or the plot line or the GM NPC or uh, the lack of options here or whatever, right? 
Mm-hmm. I, I have some bugaboos about about what I like to see and and things. And then, you know, it's gaming ballistic. It's my company. I'm the chief everything officer. I get to make that call. <laughs> if you want to, if you right, if if you want to do the writing and find the editor and learn layout and do be do art direction or get art direction and then manage the printing and shipping and logistics and making the PDF and hyperlinking and all that stuff. Have at it. There's a lot, right? You know, and that's great. You know, you can do that and the tools exist, but if you're going to come right for me, you're going to have to do it a little bit my way. <laughs> well, but that's right. That's, you know, that's, that's now I will say, I think, you know, the, the modern age with digital publishing and everything has made doing it yourself, you know, on a small scale, infinitely more possible than it was, you know, in the nineties when, when I got into gaming, you know, like you said, when you were in college and whatnot, the tools, you know, back then, I mean, Hey, if you dug around, you could find these websites that had stuff put up on them. And if you wanted to print it out, you had to copy it and then take all the HTML coding out of it. And Right. I have a funny story on that from, uh, my bestiary. One of the things that, that has uh, GURPS, fourth edition especially, has had little uh, knock on it was that it didn't really have a comprehensive fantasy bestiary. And the answer was always a little bit, well, look, it's a generic system. How can I make a generic fantasy bestiary? You know, you need to do this with a setting in mind. And I'm like, well, I have a setting. I have a Viking-ish setting. And, and also that was a Viking-ish setting that started as a D&D game. Although originally it was going to be Dungeon Fantasy, but of course no one would ever get to write for Steve Jackson games. That was impossible, so I might as well go into D&D. <laughs> Little did I know. But yeah, so I wound up doing this thing, you know, 200-page Fantasy Bestiary, full color. Mm-hmm. But so, you know, it's, it's been well-received and people like it. And, you know, you've got people thumbing through it. And, you know, I, get, I got an email from one of the customers. It's like, my 11-year-old picked this up and has been reading it all afternoon. And it's just... I was like, you know, just, you know, it just makes me feel good, right? That I'm, I'm inspiring some uh, young person to, uh, uh, to dream fantasy dreams about, about this stuff. But yeah, no, it's more possible than it's ever been. But I'll tell you what, what I always tell people is if you want to get into this business, the first thing you need to do is take five or 10 of your favorite games and open to the credits page. And every different name you see there, was important enough to put there and to pay somebody to do it. And if you're not going to look at production designer, product manager, print buyer, logistics coordinator, coffee gopher, whatever's in there, if you're going to say, no, 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 I don't need to do that, you better have a good reason why. And there are good reasons why. There are good re- I don't need to be, I'm only doing PDF, so I don't need a print buyer. Or I'm a great artist, I am not a great artist. I give my artists total creative freedom because I'm so bad at it. <laughs> but in any case, whatever it is that you're doing or not doing, you better be able to justify, uh, well justify why you don't think you need that role. Uh, once you've eliminated all the things, and there's, there's some things that you don't need to do as an indie guy, as an independent company, that you do need to, I don't need a director of human resources, that's me, right? I, you know, If I have a problem with the shipping department, I go look at the mirror and yell at myself. There are things that you can get away with with no overhead that you simply can't do as a big company. There are risks you can take. Uh, there's costs you can cut. And, and there are things that you can wait for the payday at the end that, that uh, you, know, you still want to pay yourself market rates and stuff to make sure that you're doing what you're doing. And, and you know, not as my old CEO used to say, not peeing in the pool. 
but you know it can be done and actually some of the some of the tools uh are getting easier and the tutorials are getting a lot better i had uh, zach glazer a frog god generously donate two hours of his time to me five years ago and walk me through indesign Mm -hmm. and that changed my life it really did because uh i was working with a very excellent layout person uh todd crap uh but he was really excellent but when i'm relying on him to do layout there's only so much tweaking i can do i can't look at something and say oh do this do that do that because that because each one is what in the in, in industry you call a change order mm-hmm. i'm asking for somebody's time to do something and if i'm oh let's try this oh let's try this he's going to get mad and he's going to deserve to get mad because i'm wasting his time right once i learn layout it's all my time. I can waste my own time. I can try things out. I can save a different file, like this or this or this. And it's all on me. And so that's fine. Um, so for me, at least, what I would do before I learned graphic design some, I wouldn't call myself a graphic designer, but I can at least mostly not suck. What I wound up doing for a while is I would go to a professional graphic designer and, and layout artist, and I would ask them to make me a template. Here's a graphic design, here's font choices, here's styles, you know, let's do this and, and whatever. Uh, and then I would pay them to do the template and then I would populate it. I had mm-hmm. that amount of skill. And then later on, I got to do the graphic, some of the graphic design and, 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 and envision things and how they lay out and, and uh, migrating away from complicated backgrounds it was always a good choice. Stuff like that. But yeah. Yeah. Well, but like you're saying you know, it, it, there really are so many skills beyond just being able to write good game material that go into making a gaming product that will sell. Correct. And you can be the world's greatest GM and tell amazing stories and keep everyone's attention at the table and make up all the crap that you're using. That right. doesn't mean you can make a book that'll sell. Well, not, not only that, but you could be a fantastic GM and not be able to write a book. Exactly. Because, because the art of written communication that is uh, understandable and and let's let's you know let's all as authors and stuff let's pat ourselves on the back here i mean i have a phd in engineering right i, I i've written uh you know i'm published in in was it physical review letters but yeah, I mean, you know I, i've written some really obscure stuff role-playing game writing is really hard it's really hard <laughs> see i have a theory on that and that's that role-playing games are a very unique art form if we will call them that in in the context of the book in that you're not you're not writing a script you're writing a cookbook for a script right right and, 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 and i don't know if that's the best analogy for it but it's even worse than that i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna do you one more because because you're onto something on from, from so the, and there's two parts of it there there's as in general role-playing game writing has the worst parts of three different things. There's the story part of it, or the and there's the structure part of it, right? A, a game book, even in an adventure, is a reference manual, and that's a skill. Mm-hmm. Making an organized thing where someone in the middle of, of an entertainment event can say, oh, where is this? Oh, well, this is clearly laid out, and it's here, and if there are hyperlinks, it's hyperlinks. It takes me right there, and boom, boom, and the game is hardly disrupted and ready to go. Structured thinking like that is a, is a skill, a valuable skill, a difficult skill, 
and and writing and entertaining or having entertaining and good ideas is a skill, right? I mean, there mm-hmm. are concept artists like Geiger, right? But right, but you have these concept artists and idea people who can do the thing and they've got the ideas and they put things together uh, and all that stuff and the ideas and the flow of it and whatever, you know, and people, like you say, you could write a script and then the various game review sites will pick at you like Prometheus's Eagle and you'll deserve it. They will eat your liver daily for a year because you're a railroadie, you're, you know, you're not giving enough agency and all of those things are true. And so it has to be good, sensible rules that are also entertaining, that are professionally written to standards of, of comprehension and modern grammar, and it has to be an outstanding encyclopedic reference material that nonetheless gives enough room for the game master to insert it into their campaign and improvise. Yeah. it's, it's... Don't worry, we're going to pay you five cents a word for that. <laughs> right? I pay ten, but, you know, it, it's... Uh, um, but but even so, and even with all of that in mind, that is roughly 25% of the cost of an RPG book, and even if you include the printing, right? The writing part of it is maybe a fifth of the total cost. Uh, what I like to say is that the writing, just getting it down, getting the dra- publishable draft before editing is about 25%. Getting the draft into actual ready to go into the book is 15%. And then pictures, whether it's graphic design, art, art direction, managing the artist so that it's coherent and all that, winds up being about 60% of the cost of a PDF. And that's just so that you were able to print it, right? And then yeah. if you, right, and then you've got costs of printing, costs of shipping. Oh my God, my bestiary, this 600 copies of this thing. And then, uh, uh, some monster cards. I'm, I'm showing this, which doesn't help the podcast crew, but I've got these like quick reference cards. Mm-hmm. Looks like they were about five inches square. Uh, they're four inches by five inches. Yeah. Okay. Basically a quarter page for the size that the dungeon fans are rolling in. But, right. But staging and postage and shipping was $11,000 for $9,000 of manufactured material. Shipping the thing costs more than manufacturing the thing. Uh, and mo- and at least uh, of that nine thousand, I swear that three thousand, maybe six thousand, was getting the books done. So moving the stuff around the world was almost twice as expensive as getting the books printed. Uh, although there were some cards and stuff. So I mean, so there's there's and this is the worst time to move stuff all over the planet to the point where many companies have just given up the ghost and they're like, we're only going to do it within our local postage zone. So the mm-hmm. UK and EU are serving their market. The US is serving the US. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and um, I've tried to come up with a way around that. And at least the last project, I was, I think, quite successful, but it's a neat trick. So what I wound up doing, uh, because it's my time and my effort and my whatever, uh, I did a separate print run in the United Kingdom for UK, EU, rest of world. And I did a print run in the United States for US, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. And the only reason why Australia and New Zealand is on there is because I have a off time. I think he's back like 10 of my projects. So we trust each other, right? He comes to me and says, I trust you to deliver. And I know that he's in for the long haul. He's not going to flake on me. I ship the Australia and New Zealand stuff to him through his freight forwarder. Mm-hmm. And he reships. And that cut the cost of shipping more than half. 
yeah. for that. And and the uh, for me at least, because it's in sort of the English speaking world, Australia and New Zealand is actually a source of uh, after England and Canada uh, is is a big source of orders for me. So mm-hmm. it, it it matters. Uh, I I want to serve that market. So to yeah. find a, a way to ship there was important to me. Yeah, and I have I have some friends down there, and and that's the thing, you know, they're always you know shipping costs and even just availability of things in Australia, New Zealand is not great. Right. <laughs> you know, what's the union? You have publishers that are based out of there, so I, that that's you know now like in their their case, I think they print. I don't remember where, but you know. Yeah. No, and there's a uh, there's a company called Mixem, which for a while was like. Everyone was doing their zines with Mixum, and and they have Canada, they have U.S., they have U.K., they have Australia. Uh, I keep saying, do Germany, do some, find a place you can do it in the EU. But if you if your business has grown to the point where you could print really a hundred copies in each location or more, obviously more is better. Mm-hmm. But but if you can start to get a few dozen to a low hundred in each location. And that can be hard, right? You know, I had my last project, I had 16 total orders for maybe 30 or 40 total books printed for the United Kingdom that got mailed in the United Kingdom that got mailed out to UK, EU, rest of the world. 16 on a Kickstarter that had 575 backers. Mm-hmm. Only 16 backed physical product out of there. So that's not a complaint per se. It was a very, it was a, it was a successful project, but people are really gun shy and they should be about international shipping these days. Yeah. I had, I had a, a project from a UK based publisher that I backed about a year ago and I had planned to upgrade to a higher level until I got the shipping information right, and went, right. I'm not Dear God. No, right. I can't do this. Right. No, absolutely. I'm already paying as much for the shipping of the hardcover book as I paid for the book. Right. Well, I, but, and, and you can clearly see in, in, in the, uh, you know, in the manufacturing costs, it's, it's really non-trivial. I mean, you can't, it used to be that there was an opportunity maybe. So for example, it used to, to get a print run of five or 600 books from Eastern Europe, from Latvia, where I print, my books and it used to be like 500 bucks about a buck a book to to bring the books to the united states it was well over two thousand dollars you know this time um and it used to be you just sort of shrug your shoulders and say fine whatever i'll just eat that out of profits but that's a great way to go bankrupt these days you gotta know you -hmm. gotta know what you're saying i call them staging shot staging costs and shipping costs it used to be you could sweep your staging cost which is I want to get my books to locations from which they will be delivered to the final customer. It used to be you could sweep your staging costs under the rug and just eat them out of profit, even if you were discounting your books for a Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, you know, the PDF markup will easily take care of it, whatever, 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 right? You just, you can't do that anymore. You just can't, you know, especially if you're doing a, a deeply discounted product. Or just you know choosing to not run with industry standard margins, you can lose money on staging. I mean you can I mean you can you can throw your project into the into the black. You know I mean uh, Steve Jackson Games just got a I must have gotten manufacturing costs and like oh well this is what it's going to cost to make the game and this is a big this is Pathfinder Pathfinder Munchkin Pathfinder something. So this is a huge license, right? Uh, and a big effort, and they canceled. 
because people are like, I can't pay that for the game. And they're like, well, we can't charge less because mm -hmm. the costs have just gone up that much. And it's just, I mean, a major company like that couldn't profitably produce a game that people would want to pay for and keep the lights on. Yeah. And, right. And, and so, you know, this is not 1995 where, you know, I could expect to make a 10,000 copy print run and sell through it. Now, of course, you'd sell through distribution because that was the only way to get something done. Don't get we, 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 You'll have to bring me back and get me to go on a rant about the distribution <laughs> system. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like we could go off down that trail for a while. Just like your earlier point, and then I swear to God, I'll drop it. But just like your earlier point that the tools and availabilities of things like tr not desktop publishing, but true layout programs, Affinity Publisher, for example, mm -hmm. you know, you can get it for $35 or $25. And it's, it's, there are some features that I want that aren't there yet, so I don't use it yet. But it's a pro-level program. You may have to mm -hmm. tweak it a little bit, but it's the real deal. InDesign is quite expensive uh, on a mm -hmm. subscription basis, um, but you've got InDesign. You got you know Photoshop and Affinity Photo. Uh, uh, GIMP is a free uh, thing that you can do photo manipulation. But you may not even need to because the stock art that is available is is simply phenomenal, and and you don't need to commission. I think everyone should go commission their favorite artists to do pieces because yay. But you don't have to. I continue to make use of stock art. So, I mean, you can put together a gorgeous, professionally produced PDF or print book in, in a way that was simply could not have been imagined 20 years ago. And you don't need to do 1,000 copy or 10,000 copy print runs because you've got POD. And I'm not talking drive-through. I'm talking shops that will give you a very nice print quality where you get to choose really thick. Like I use 100-pound paper and all of my stuff and whatever. Um, like this, this, this 200 pound, 200 page bestiary is printed on 100 pound or 150 GSM matte paper. It's thick. It, it, it's because mm -hmm. I'm like, if, you know, if people are going to be paging through this, I don't want it to rip. Right. So it's right. So it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's, this book is, is thicker than a lot of the D and D fifth edition books, even though it's a hundred pages shorter because the paper's thicker. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, but you can do all of this stuff in a way that uh, it was just unimaginable. And uh, if you're willing to, to learn the skills, uh, you can do some great stuff and move it around the world and whatever. But there's a lot of skills to learn. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, like it's, you know, layout and, and like you've talked about know, all the hyperlinking and that's a skill. And it, I don't want to imagine the hours that get spent fully hyperlinking a PDF. Hyperlinking and indexing are really annoying, but they're so important. Oh, I'm still not the biggest fan of PDFs for use, but the one, and I've said this before on the show, the, the one that kind of started to win me over and got me to at least consider it is the uh, Cyberpunk Red. Okay. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's so fully hyperlinked. You know, it says, check this section. It's a link. It's right. a, you know, this page number, it's a link. Right. You click the header at the top of the page. It takes you back to the index. Oh, interesting. That's, that's a good idea. You know, it's, yeah. it's just, it, it makes the PDF infinitely more useful. Right. No, absolutely. And, and, and to some extent, the header level, level stuff, and this, this is, I, I don't want to go too far down this, 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 but the header level stuff is automatic. There's 0% excuse 
not to have at least your table of contents hyperlinked because the programs do it for you. You know, you just click a button. Oh, do you want to link the uh, table of contents? Why, yes, click there. Boom, done. Um, the internal hyperlinks are trickier. Uh, and this is where if you get really good at InDesign, and I, this is, I'm hovering at this level. I haven't taken the full plunge. Uh, but if you get into scripting, you could legitimately hit a button and let the thing churn and it'll find all of the phrases that you want and do the thing. And um, I still do manual indexing and I do manual hyperlinking, uh, which means I do them at the end. Actually, not only do they do them at the end, but I'll usually send out a non-hyperlinked PDF and say, please help me proofread and find things and whatever, whatever. And then once that's done, I hyperlink it and then send out the final. Mm-hmm. But it can take a full, it can take a full day to do all that stuff. Uh, but a good index is worth its weight in gold. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, before we get into some other stuff, uh, two yeah. more things. I know uh, you've referenced it a couple times. You have a Kickstarter campaign that's currently active. So if you'd like to take a few minutes anyway to talk about that, and I know it's actually not GURPS related. It, it, it is not. I uh, am currently running, getting back, I should say, into the OSR space. My very first Kickstarter was a book called Dungeon Grappling. I am I am kind of known in the GURPS area and, and a little bit beyond as the grappling guy. Uh, I was never a good grappler. I studied it for a long time. But it's fundamental to combat. Only recently did you separate grappling and striking for what you did, you know, in terms of in whatever, like the Pankratian matches from 2,600 years ago would be very familiar to mixed martial arts practitioners today. And if you look at Talhofer and uh, Fiori and Meyer and the, the Masters of Defense guys, they're grabbing things and, and, and throwing each other. And, and uh, what is it? Uh, the Codex Wallerstein is, is, is full of, of people flinging each other around in full plate because you couldn't punch through the armor. So you had to do the sword stuff and the long sword and hook and throw and then lift the visor and stabity stabity stab or stick it you know under a, the voider in the armpit or whatever so i got my start in fifth edition pathfinder old school uh, swords and wizardry with a book called dungeon grappling um which was my first kickstarter and uh but then i did it can only be called a fantasy heartbreaker it's called dragon heresy uh it's what happens when gurps and fifth edition get a little drunk and, and go off uh, at a game con, and then 40 weeks later, something is, is, is born. Because you've got some stuff. You're clearly like, oh, well, this is clearly class and level and fifth edition looking and D20 and whatever. And But wait, what's this? This is feeling an awful lot like GURPS, isn't it? I'm like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do. So I, I took some of the things that I liked about uh, options and whatever and, uh, and, and did that. And, but then I got invited to start playing in the Steve Jackson Games pool, and so I did that. I did more of that. And then I did TFT and I did more of that. And, you know, I was doing okay. I, I you know, um, but I wanted to broaden um, one of the, the maxims that you, that I, I like to t- say is, you know, I'm never going to shrink. I'm never going to save my way to success. Right. If, if, if you're writing a book for me and I can pay you 10 cents a word, or I can pay you five cents a word, I want to pay you 10 cents a word because the difference and the checks that I'll write to you between five and 10 cents a word had better not break my company. <laughs> the way that I will succeed is by going from 500 to 1,000 to 2,000 backers on a given project 
And I have said before, and I will say it again, that if I can get 2,000 backers on a project, there are very few projects that I cannot pull off because I'm well past the development cost and am into actually making money. They're usually the first 500 backers, at least the way that I do things, are what it takes to pay for the development and a break even. But yeah, so, so part of the TFT work, TFT is a fantasy trip, has a long history of solo adventures kind of choose your own adventure style stuff where you go to here, you have a couple of choices, you go to here, you make a choice, you go to here, and then you're faced with a choice, you know, fight or run. And you fight, you play it out on a map and you invoke rules. And if you win, then you move on. And if you die or run, then you don't and you do other things and you have other choices forced upon you. But it, 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 a lot of these choices are make a skill roll or make a, a combat test or whatever. And... TFT and the old school Renaissance are, they exist at the same time. I mean, you know, Fantasy Trip is 1970, late 70s, early 80s type stuff. So there's a lot in common there. And so David Pulver wrote uh, four solo adventures for the Fantasy Trip. And I thought that given pandemic and all the isolation, and I kept seeing, I backed the old school essentials big box set Kickstarter at the, the double box level. I'm looking forward to getting the physical copies there. I have the PDFs. But so I did that, and I was like, I kept seeing, oh, I'm trying on Discord or whatever. Oh, I'm trying to get into OSE, and I really want to learn the game. I want to learn the rules. I want to learn, I want to learn, I want to learn. And what better way to learn than this kind of structured solo play where you can either do it yourself or you can have a referee helping, but it's guided, it's no prep. It allows you to learn the rules at your own pace, your own way, and you don't have five people looking at you saying, well, come on, just make a choice, right? You do it at your own time, and, and if you're in isolation, if you're, you know, immunologically challenged, or you're sick, or you can't go, whatever, then you can still play. You can still game, and you can do it a little bit at a time, do it at your own pace. So I was like, you know what, let me try entering the old school space uh, using old school essentials. Um, and I said, yeah, I'm going to do this. And then uh, Gavin um, from Necrotic Gnome, says, hey, I read in your update, somebody pointed to me that you're thinking about doing this. I'm like, yeah. He's like, that's awesome. And so, you know, it was, it was, he was very encouraging. And so I, you know, I had David do one conversion and, and I'm going to do the others. And I launched the Kickstarter and I was really nervous about it because, you know, it, it's for, for various reasons, uh, but it's gone very well. It funded in an hour. Um, now I set, oh, I set the bar low. I mean, I, I, I was like, you know, what would it really take for me to say, okay, you know, it is what it is. And this is, this. So I did, you know, you do, you do the behind the scenes math. I'm like, you know, I figure if I get a hundred backers, I can at least do it, fill it and walk away. Mm -hmm. If, if, right. If everyone's like, this is stupid, you suck. Right. If I can get a hundred backers, it's good. And if it gets beyond that, then great. But I'm over 500% funding. It's only like day five. Right. I mean, or, you know, I launched it on the fourth. It's the eighth, so I've sort of had four and a half days. It's passing sixteen thousand. Backer tracker is saying this could hit thirty something. And I'm looking at the uh, if you've seen inside a Kickstarter, oh my god! But I have eight hundred people following the project who haven't yet backed. So either my sales pitch is terrible, or they're waiting to the end. I'm hoping they're waiting to the end. But eight hundred people I mean, who haven't backed yet, and I and I'm at three hundred and sixty five backers. So, you know, I've got 200 people who have, or 200 and some odd people who just came in and said, oh yeah, I want this and bought it. And then 800 more 
are saying, okay, I'll wait to the end or, you know, it's, you know, the Kickstarter runs in another 20 days or so. I think it, you know, 19 days, whatever. Uh, so, you know, I don't want to back until it's closer because why commit and whatever, but this has the potential to really do well. And the other thing it does is because the fantasy trip and old school essentials are kind of a, a kindred spirits. They're somewhat rule. They're both rules light. They're both kind of lethal. They're they're both very much about the at the table play, not so much about giant skill lists. It is a very self contained system that you can just go play. They have they share a lot, and so I can reach more people by playing in both spaces, but not saying oh go convert yourself because one of my big beliefs as a publisher is people are paying me to do their homework. Right. You know, uh, you're not giving me money so that you can do the work. You're giving me money so that I've done the work for you, but leaving enough wiggle room so that you can make it your own. So thus far, this is looking really interesting. And so I'm definitely happy with with where it is now. If it ended today, boom, done, I would still be happy. Mm -hmm. And I've got almost you know two and a half weeks left. Uh, for me to be even happier. And so I, I'm very pleased with, with the performance and the interest level. And now I just need to do the work and, and get the product out. And I'm hoping to close the project as quickly as I close my last one, my fantasy trip solo adventure Kickstarter from the last, the last one that I did launched June 7th. And as of yesterday, two months from launch, Every package is either in someone's hands or in the mail. Oh, that's cool. That's, that's... <laughs> People had their PDFs uh, within a week of closing. And, or was it? that? It was, yeah, it was within a couple of days of closing. Uh, and I definitely had everyone have their all of their electronic materials long before I got paid from, mm. from by Kickstarter. Uh, yeah, but no, two months from launch, I think it was an 18-day campaign. And then total content creation was, uh, including ready to go to print, uh, was finished by June 30th. And then the next month or so was all fulfillment. And yeah, no, that. And so I'm hoping to repeat that with, with this next one. But everything went right on the last one. So, I mean, obviously I'll throw a link for this in the show notes or whatever, but what's the title again if people just want to look it up? Yeah, it's, it's called Old School Solo Adventures. Okay. I know what it is on the tin, and the the uh, the uh, the subtitle is four programmed adventures written for old school essentials. Play them, choose your own style, or with a referee. Cool. So one thing that I have seen done with the kind of the lowest level intro, uh, which is a fantastic little adventure that David wrote called David Pulver, uh, who wrote GURPS Vehicles, right? So he's a longtime GURPS author, uh, uh, author, and he also did Big Eyes, Small Mouth. And David is a long and prolific, long history of and a prolific uh, creator and writer. But uh, uh, Dark Lord's Doom, which provides the, uh, the gorgeous cover by Ksenia um, Kasevnikova uh, out of Canada, I know someone takes the TFT solo Dark Lord's Doom to conventions and simply runs people at his convention through the solo, gives them the choices and does the thing. And people have a blast because convention play and i learned this the hard way convention play and adventure writing are two different things a convention adventure like things that you would be really mad at me for making you choose between as a game master at your own table 
are perfectly fine at a convention because it's a four hour one shot. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and there are certain things that you expect or you can get away with is really maybe the phrase in terms of agency and choice and railroady and whatever. You know, you want them to experience the thing. Whereas if you're playing your own game, you're playing with friends and it needs to be organic and grow and allow maximum whatever. But convention plays is is a little different in many cases. Yeah. And, and so running through a solo like that where you've got limited somewhat limited choice but there is choice and flow and you can win and you can lose and there are multiple david is really great about providing multiple victory conditions right you can win this way you can win that way like in the in the till death there was part you can win by delivering the bride to the noble that she's to marry you can win by running off with the bride and dealing with that consequence in later campaign, you can win with spoiler, 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 which is a total plot twist. So there's at least, and of course there are lots of ways that you can get killed and eaten. So there's, there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can end this. Uh, and so you get several different replay value, but it's also not, we're going to pretend to have choice along the linear adventure. It's a branching path with multiple victory and defeat conditions. Uh, and one of the, I think it's an innovation, but maybe not. I thought that David was, at least I hadn't seen it, was he, you collect these things called plot words, right? If you do this thing, you collect plot word eviscerate. And later on, if you have plot word eviscerate, you have a choice that's open to you that is not open to you if you don't have that word. Hmm, it's interesting. Right. So, you know, if you have the plot word, maybe it's the plot word golden, because there's a golden key, then you can open the chest, which has something, and that makes a later event happen better or mm-hmm. or worse, right? Because you've taken this thing and you pick up plot word defiled because you defiled a, a tomb, and now the spirit will only attack you. There's a series of plot words where where the bride will trust or lose trust in either her fiance or the party members and and where what words you have when you get to the end decide whether she's going to be like I'm so glad that you delivered me to my new husband you know that you know we I've met my new husband this is great our two great counties and baronies will ally against the orc ally against the orc threat and this is wonderful and thank you and you've done your job and and you know you will hire you as personal guard or it could be oh you know I, I just can't agree with the choices that my future husband is making and how can he allow these things to happen in his lands and really we should run off together and make pretty adventure babies or whatever and, and right so so there's all kinds of stuff that that uh, uh, that you can do and and david is really good at, at flushing those out but yeah so dark lord so it's a great way to either it's a great way to introduce people to old school play or tft or whatever because you don't have to be terribly innovative and if no one's role played before they don't they may not know the glory of the hex crawl <laughs> or the totally free form world you know they you want to explore the kind of choices that you can make but they've never experienced anything beyond watching. You've never you've watched an adventure movie, but you've never been the adventurer. Well, what do you want to? You're Dwayne the Rock Johnson. What do you do? Well, what does the script say? That's not how this works, right? right well, right. Th- then you get into what's and and this sort of brings it back to GURPS a little bit when you get so much that you can do that you run into what we usually call analysis paralysis. I have so much that I could do that I just just staring at my character sheet. And this can happen with high level D and D play as well. 
when you have mm-hmm. so many options other than hit him with my mace that that you just uh, do I do this feat? Do I do this thing? Do I choose this option? What about that spell? What do I do? And everyone's just staring at it like, come on, dude. <laughs> and, and so you get stuff like that, but the solo adventure has enough choice to provide real freedom of motion, but enough constraint that there's always a way to move forward. And that's a great introduction to gaming. And it also takes a lot of burden off the game master to prep. Yeah. Right. Uh, Cause you can just, you know, you've paid gaming ballistic to do your homework for you. And, uh, and so that's now there is one other version of a solo that I've seen. I'm trying to remember what it was. Maybe it was tunnels and trolls had a, 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 a I think a table driven, and I want to find it and look at it. And so this one's branching path, kind of choose your own adventure style. But there's another way that I've seen these presented, or I've heard that these are presented that may actually work better with how I write and how I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so where David does great branching path stuff, I've done something like this as part of enhancing the draft of the adventure module for then my Nordland setting called Forest. And there's an invasion, there's an attack on a town. And there's all sorts of things that you can do. And by doing these things during the battle, you get victory points and you win or lose the battle and the plot develops based on how that happens. And the noble can die or injured or not die or, you know, you can do all this glorious stuff or you can die horribly or whatever, whatever. Um, But that kind of situation is a different form of uh, structured play where you could do it solo wise because, you know, you go out, you do the thing, you come back to the base, you know, the center of defense, and then you do again, or, oh, I'm going to go whatever. And, and as long as you're still on mission, so to speak, uh, you can still be uh, doing that sort of thing. Anyway, so, but yeah, the Kickstarter is going well. Uh, it's got another, uh, it will end on the 27th of August. It's a longer campaign than I usually run. Uh, I usually try and do like three weekends. This one's four, but I wanted to give time to get the word out mm-hmm. and, and and i am not plugged into all the old school things and the other thing is there's so much old school material coming out on any given day that for very good reasons the various groups have said dude go ahead drop your kickstarter once right or once a week you know if you're they're being if they're feeling kind they're like once a week and, you know, I'm, I've gotten better about not doing 107 updates in my Kickstarters because, really, I, that's, that's a little much. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, like when, when I'm like, oh, you know, here's, a, here's an image. Here's a, here's a spread that is a cool example of what's going on. Or there's a question. You know, and you want people to know that. Like someone wrote me and said, hey, is this Choose Your Own Adventure or is this D&D? And I was like, well, yes, it's both. You have some things that are Choose Your Own Adventure. But it was a good question because, you know, it would be not crazy talk to say oh this is an old school choose your own adventure where you'd never actually break out the rules well that's not the case it involved you know you roll 1d for surprise and you know check morale and do the fight and and you have to win and hit points and hit dice and all that stuff uh and you've got characters that you're playing with and so the D part of it is vital to the experience but you can easily see it not being so and it being mm-hmm. sold as old so he's like look is this a real D thing or is this really just trying to find a clever way to sell choose your own adventures. I'm like, no, it's absolutely a D&D thing, but it's a good question. Let me show you from the one that I have completed in old school format. Here's a spread. And on this spread, you see cool art, cool map by Glenn Seal, multiple Emmy award winner um, and producer of the Midlands. 
and a, a monster and a character. And you can see the kind of choices that you can make. So here, now you're informed. And that's the kind of update you want everyone to see. All right. There we go. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, it sounds uh, sounds fun. I know the solo thing has gotten big over the last, well, pandemic, really. But I think it was taken off before that. Yeah. All right. So one more thing before we do Game of the Week. And yes. that would be, where can people find more about you and all the stuff you're doing? You know, website, social media, whatever. Yeah, so I am, um, I have Gaming Ballistics on Facebook. I'm GMing Ballistic on Twitter because apparently that extra A was a problem for length. So at GMing Ballistic. Uh, I have a blog, GamingBallistic.com. Uh, and uh, my products can be found at gaming ballisticmyshopifycom So I have a Shopify website. Okay. But uh, Gaming Ballistic uh, will get you most places... Although you have to watch out for ballistic gaming, uh, which is video game stuff. But yeah, gamingballistic.com will take you to my primary website and blog. And that's the best place to, to start. And I'm on Discord. Uh, mm -hmm. I have a, 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 a Discord channel. And I don't do much Instagram. I probably should, but I don't. Um, there's only so much social that I can do. So Facebook, Twitter, Discord. Uh, I hang in the Steve Jackson Games forums. I'm periodically on Reddit. But 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 not a ton. But the website is kind of the hub. The website is is kind of branch, and all of my contact information uh, is in the find me section on the on the site. So. All right. Well, that sounds wonderful, and I might pop into your Discord just because I need yet another channel to try and keep track of. I know, right? <laughs> but you're on ours, if people. I, yeah, absolutely. So. In any case, so now it's time for for game of the week. So my game of the week this week is a game, and this was completely unplanned. I already had it picked out before you mentioned the author during our chat tonight, and that's a game called Pandora, Total Destruction. Okay. It was written by uh, Todd Crapper. Oh, very good. Yes, yes, yes. And this is, it's a game about playing superheroes that are in training to control their massively destructive powers. I'm not going to go through the whole blurb, but it's, you know, the, the, the short kind of, you know, two line pitch is what if your superpower could wipe out a city in the blink of an eye? How would you learn to control that power? Pandora Total Destruction is a tabletop role playing game where players take on the role of overpowered supers who must learn how to control their powers and stop a great evil. And uh, I can send you a link in our green room channel if you'd like. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a it's a supers game. You know, I, I'm guessing it's original system. I don't see anything indicating exactly what you know what engine it's working on it looks like uses you know d6 d8 d10 d12 so i you know that doesn't tell a whole lot but it it, it looks like an interesting different take on supers which yeah. i always find interesting no and and supers gaming in general has a lot of wiggle room because there's a lot of stuff you can do with it and you know it can be so much more than uh you know, costume superheroes slugging it out and, 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 and stuff. And so the, uh, you know, some of the questions that, that get wrestled with in, in some of these games are really interesting as well. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, there's another line in here now. Now the world doesn't like superpowered people around again. They fear us, but they can't stop us. So now they control us, you know? And, right. and so it's, it's looking at, yeah, what happens when things don't go right. <laughs> right. But yeah, I just thought that was, that was an interesting one. And, uh, you know, it's got print on demand options, but you know, if you just want the PDF, it's all 13 bucks. So, uh, yeah, again, that's called Pandora total destruction. 
Yeah, and, and Todd's stuff in general is, is worth looking at. Um, obviously, I find his graphic design good because he did mine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's, Broken Ruler Games is his uh, .net is his his site. Okay. And uh, his I think High Plains Samurai was his big shot. He really, mm-hmm. it's got really nice graphic design, and the play was interesting, and and the interiors are fun, and it looks like a very uh, steampunk samurai kind of thing. And uh, whoever he got to do his maps knows what they're about. Very pretty. Mm-hmm. All right. So do you have something you'd like to share with everybody? I, I thought I just did. The uh, Let's see. Where, let me look at my library here. You know, I, I want to talk. Have you talked about Simba Room at all? It's been mentioned, but it's been a while. Yeah. I, I, it's one of these games that it's funny. I, I picked it up because it was pretty. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I, I was, I was looking through this. And I'm like, this is such a great looking book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, the free the, league pre- books always are right. Uh, um, and <laughs> w- is, that, is that free league? Yes. Really? I did. Well, it wasn't originally. Okay. Okay. But it is now. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was another company that, that the history uh, there is a little okay. weird. Yarn ring. And I think was the name of the company. Yeah. Yarn ring. I, the iron, uh, iron, Ringin is wrestling, I think. Uh, Ringin is a type of uh, fighting, but yeah, yarn is iron. Uh, but but yeah, they were companies that eventually merged to form what is now Free Elegon or Free League. Okay, very good. But no, I just uh, I it, I find one of the interesting things about it that I've read and looked at is that it makes no pretense about balance. You play the character that you play. Some of them are really powerful. Some of them aren't. And if you like optimizing. For superpowers, I'm told you can absolutely do it, and they're like, mm-hmm. "Okay, if that's the game that you want to play, have at yeah. it." But that's not what it's for. They've also released a 5e edition of that. Okay. For me, if I was to play it, I'd want you know the original Simbrum, but that's yeah, just no. Me. Um, but the, one of the things that I love about the book is the layout choices that they've made are like nothing I'd ever seen before. Hmm like really interesting use of white space and column width and spreads and pages. And, and I know this is a little inside baseball, but really, really, really good text flow. And it, it's a beautifully laid out book that just does amazing things. And I've heard that the, uh, the game system itself is, is pretty unique. Yeah, well, I know the one thing I, I've heard about it is I think all roles are player-facing. And what is a setting, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of a low-to-mid-fantasy, kind of dark, gritty. Yeah, yeah. The, the art screams dark and gritty. Like, I expect to die a lot. And it's just, looking at, <laughs> just looking at the art, I'm, I'm not really looking at this as, as, uh, as Justice League of America type stuff. I'm, I'm you know, I, I see a lot of harsh vistas and... and Fallen Titans and and stuff like that. Well, I know it has like a, a corruption mechanic of some sort in it. I forget what it's called, but yeah. And here, here, I mean, you know, you can't see it, but here's a bold choice, right? Look, there's a box. It's an inch. <laughs> it's an inch. It's like two or three centimeters wide, tall, narrow on the edge, you know. And and it says the defensive strength of polearm mastery. And there's <laughs> you know probably a couple of hundred words, you know, a hundred words or fewer there that makes a point. But it's just sort of sitting out there, you know, you got to read it. Um, but it, it's, uh, I've always, I, I just, uh, this was the first 
book that I really picked up where, you know, they did UV spot coloring on the title to make it uh, pop uh, a little more. And uh, I did that on my Dragon Heresy book um, that I mentioned earlier because I was, I was like, I had, I was like, how much for this? They're like, oh, it's this much. I'm like, oh, I'm definitely going to do that because uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't that expensive. Yeah, I, I've always wanted to play that game. Yeah, I, I know someone who's actually GM'd an actual play of it, but uh, I've, I've not actually played it myself. Okay. But uh, yeah, it, it, it does sound very intriguing if, for me, it's only that I've got a stack of things that are very intriguing already in line ahead of it. Right, right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I would like to say, you know, thank you very much for coming to take the time to chat with us. You know, Steve wishes he would have been here because... Well, that's the way we do things, but uh, love to have you back on at some point to talk maybe, you know, a little more of the publishing business or, you know, who knows what. I am always happy to come on and talk gaming. Uh, I try and be as open as possible of what goes into the business side of things so that people understand what I'm coming from and what I'm trying to do and and just can understand what's going on um, the way that I do it, I guess. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that anything that helps demystify that is probably a good thing yeah well it, it is you know i we could sit here and talk all night i have a feeling and unfortunately i have to get up for work and wait not long enough time <laughs> so again you know thank you very much um you know everybody go check out your know, gamingballistic.com check out the kickstarter all that stuff and you know hey gurps I mean, it sounds really cool, and I do know the other thing I've heard a lot of people do is they'll take a specific GURP source book and use it for a game that they're running in that kind of niche genre because it brings up a lot of really cool points and some stuff, too. Like, look, I know a lot of people who consider, like, we'll say the GURPS 4th edition horror book as the source for horror gaming stuff. Now, granted, it was written by Ken Height, you know, but that kind of goes to speak. Right. No, it, it, I, I want to let you finish your show, but I just want to emphasize that you're absolutely right about that. Ken did a masterful job of breaking down why the horror things are horrific. You know, what is this? You know, vampirism is a representation of what? Uh, lycanthropy is a representation of what? Poltergeist or this demon is an archetype or a metaphor for what? What scary thing are you talking about here? And why is it scary? And what's the thing? And, you know, the 10 different types of vampires. You got like Nosferatu are metaphors for disease. The sexy vampires are metaphor for, you know, sec bad sex decisions and, and uh, 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 you know, lust and all that stuff. Sparkly vampires just need to die, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> but, 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 you know, he, he, you know, he, but he breaks it down for, for what all of that would be. And to give Twilight a fair shot, right. It would be the appeal of, of the forbidden fruit, right. You chase after the, the sparkly gorgeous diamond thing and, and get punished for it to, to, you know, the, untou you know, chasing the untouchable and, and stuff. So, I mean, all of that has a story function and there's nobody better than him to bring that to the table. And that's the one GURPS book I currently own. <laughs> but uh, I guess, uh, you know, with all that said, like I said, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, love to get you back on at some point to talk about something else. Who will see what? Maybe we'll get you come on to talk biking stuff since that's a passion of yours. Could be. But I guess with that, uh, thank you everyone for listening. You know, all our contact info for 
you know, Facebook, Twitter, Discord, Patreon, etc., and so on. It's all in the show notes. And with all that, you know, be kind to each other. Get out there and play some RPGs. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at Me and Steve RPG Podcast. On Discord at Me and Steve RPGs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that.